Time now to welcome in Andy Bailey. He covers the Utah Jazz in the NBA for Forbes.com and Bleacher Report. Andy, let's get right to it. Jazz fans want to know, are they going to beat the Celtics tonight? Because they've had just about enough of this losing stuff. Ooh, um, geez, I'd be hard-pressed to predict a win, especially with the way that Boston is playing right now. I mean, Jason Tatum's been on just an unbelievable tear here lately. I think, I don't even, I don't know the exact number of games, but his last, I don't know, six or seven or something, he's averaging 30 points, shooting like 50% from the field. And I just, I don't know if Utah has a guy who can defend him with his size and versatility and shot-making ability. Maybe he's he's due for an off night. They're coming on the the second night of a back-to-back, and they just played in Portland, which is usually a pretty tough place to play, although they're just decimated by injuries this season. So they didn't have to expend a ton of energy in in Portland last night as they may have if they had faced Lillard and all those guys. But, uh, geez, I don't – that's a toss-up to me. If I was was giving betting advice, I'd say this is a stay away for sure with the way Utah's playing too. It's just – it's a tough game to wrap your head around right now. Obviously, we know the Jazz came out of the street, uh, the All-Star break losing three in a row. Uh, with that in mind, all three at home, you see them at any form of a crossroads right now? Yeah, I mean, I think the comments that a lot of the players offered after the last loss, um, which was certainly the most disappointing because it came against a sub-500 team, would indicate that they, I think they probably feel like it's a little bit of a crossroads. Um Andy Larson at the Salt Lake Tribune had some interesting takes on it after the game. He he kind of thought maybe they got complacent after they hit second place in the standings, or maybe Mitchell and Gobert got individually complacent after they were selected to the All-Star game. Um, there was, generally speaking, in the Quinn Snyder era, there was this sort of grittiness and toughness to the Jazz teams where they didn't always have three or four great you know, offensive talents in the lineup, but they were able to grind teams down, wear them down, beat them on the defensive end. And a lot of that greediness just seems to come and go with this team. I, I think there have been stretches in the season where it's kind of there, but there's also been a bunch of stretches where it's just not. I mean, they didn't play very well for a little period at the beginning of the season. They obviously had the five-game losing streak earlier. They're in the middle of a losing streak again here now. Um, they're just there's a there's a tendency for complacency. I don't I don't know about that sentence, but that's what I'm going to go with um, with this team that I just don't think has always been present with Quinn Snyder's team. So I think, yeah, you could say they're at a bit of a crossroads. There's also a piece of me that thinks that maybe we're just overreacting a little bit. I mean, it's an 82-game season. They're still on pace for over 50 wins. They have a top-10 net rating against teams in the top-10 of net rating. Um, you know, they have a losing record against those top-10 two, top teams, but they're still one of the better teams in the league against stiff competition. So there, there are some positive signs, too, and I think maybe in two or three weeks we may look back on this and say they just need a little bit of a wake-up call. Um, but, yeah, I, I think there's more cause for concern than I, than I thought there was coming into this season. I think the up-and-down nature of the Jazz season, there's probably several things going on, and I think – most recently, I've been looking at effort issues and hustle issues and focus issues and all that. But there's some X's and O's in, in this stew. I don't think they've been the major part of what we've seen recently. But the league is clearly picking up on we have got to move Gobert not away from the hoop. 
We can move all the way out to the three-point line. Everybody saw yeah. the chase down block at the end of the Dallas game, right? So if he's 12 feet from the hoop, that's not good enough. This guy needs to be 22 feet from the hoop. And Houston's got the small ball. They're all in on that, obviously. But Minnesota and Denver and the Lakers all have lineups out where they can put five three-point shooters on the floor and put everybody beyond the arc. How much of the Jazz defensive identity is seriously hurt by that strategy. I think that's an excellent point. And even Phoenix did that in the, the loss to the Suns. They put Dario Saric at the five for a while, and it, and it had a similar effect to what Houston did to Rudy Gobert. And he's, I think he's better than people give him credit for at the perimeter, but when you're 20 feet from the rim, you're 20 feet from the rim, like you said. And, and uh, you know, a lot of his value over the years has been tied to the fact that when he's by the, the basket or in the paint, um, you know, offensive players can, can break the three-point line, see him, and literally U-turn and run out of there. Uh, if he's not there, it's, it's just a whole different ballgame. Um, I, I think what it does is put a lot more pressure on the perimeter defenders. I mean, for years it's been like uh, – it was almost schemed. Let's force guys one way. Let's funnel, funnel them into Gobert and we'll be fine. Um, now they're funneling them into an open paint. And, and, you know, Royce O'Neal rotating over from the corner is a lot different than Rudy Gobert already standing there. So I don't know what you can do besides say, hey, guys, you got to do a better job of staying in front of your man. Um, I mean, that's that's easier said than done, especially for guys. I mean, I think Joe Ingles is a good perimeter defender. I think Bogdanovich is maybe a little underrated. I think O'Neal's a good perimeter defender. Um, but they, they've been routinely blown by during this rough stretch. I think they're like, what, four and eight in their last 12. And there's, there's just been a lot of defensive lapses um, over the course of that stretch. And, and those perimeter guys are just going to have to absolutely be locked in. If Gobert's not back there to, to cover their behinds, um, they just have to be better. It's, it seems, very, seems like a very reductive answer to just say stay in front of your guy. Um, but, yeah, I think that's a huge part of it. So now that we're a week out from the All-Star break and March is bearing down on us, it's getting down to the stretch run for sure. Handicap the West for us. The West, as always, is just um, brutal. I, I think the Lakers have probably done enough to hang on to number one. Uh, they're, they're six up in the loss column now in Denver, so that's probably solved. But once again, like two through, I'll say seven, is, is wide open. Um, <laughs> the, this is going to be another one of those seasons where the, the standings just sort of shift constantly um, over the course of the next few weeks. If I were to handicap it in terms of which teams do I think have a shot to make it to the finals, you know, regardless of where they, they end up in the standings, because again, I, I think two through seven is just going to be, um, you know, it's almost like putting names in a hat and, and trying to draw those out. There's going to be a ton of good first round series um, between those teams. The ones that I would consider, you know, legitimate title contenders right now. It's hard to count out Kawhi Leonard with the Clippers. Um, and I'm, I'm more open to what Houston's doing every single time I see them. Uh, essentially, opening up the floor for Russell Westbrook and making him in, in some ways kind of the center on this team has just it, it's changed things for them significantly. And I think they're a lot more dangerous now. Um, I would I would pick the Lakers against any of these teams. I think probably at this point, I, I think the Clippers are close, but these are teams that I wouldn't be shocked to see get all the way to the finals. I think Denver still has a chance too. Um, they they have a top five player in my opinion in Jokic and just one of the best offensive hubs we have in the league. Um, Dallas and OKC are just kind of plucky now, 
And I'm almost at a point where I'm, I, I almost have to bump Utah down to that tier with Utah, OKC, and Dallas. And there's a little piece of me that thinks if we got in a seven, if, if the Jazz got in a seven game series with either of those teams, um, they have guys who, who are maybe more capable of taking over a series than Chris Paul and Luka Doncic than the Jazz do. Um, you know, Donovan Mitchell can obviously get hot. Rudy Gobert can control things defensively if, <laughs> if he's allowed to be by the pain, as we were just discussing. Um, but there, there could be some serious matchup problems from either one of those teams for Utah too. So, as always, it's the wild, wild west. It's it's kind of a difficult thing to predict. But I do think there's probably still four or five teams that I could reasonably see getting all the way to the finals. So, with what Houston's done, is that where more teams are going to go, or is that something you can only do when you have James Harden and, and Westbrook? I think that more teams are going to go with elements of it. I, I don't know if very many teams can um, rely as heavily on the isolation as Houston does, but the idea of positionless basketball, I, I think, has been on the way for a while now. In fact, when Quinn Snyder was hired by the Jazz, that was kind of a buzzword um, in his opening remarks as the Jazz coach was that he liked positionless basketball. And when you look around the league, there, like you said, there are other teams that are kind of doing it. Um, you mentioned uh, that the Lakers can go small. I, you know, I think Phoenix, again, went small against the Jazz in that game. One team that's been doing it basically all season is the Celtics. Daniel Tice plays like a big man, but he's 6'8", um, and he, he's pretty switchy. Like He can switch on the wings, and, and Boston's not going to get killed by that. He can step out and hit threes. Um, their entire starting lineup is 6'8 and under. Uh, so, so I think it's absolutely on the way, just – Instead of saying, here's our point guard, shooting guard, et cetera, et cetera, um, here are five basketball players who can all guard the other five basketball players, who can all dribble, who can all pass, uh, who can all run pick and roll. I think it just makes offenses a lot more dynamic. It makes defenses more versatile because you can just switch everything. Um, You know, these trends come and go pretty quickly in the NBA. So maybe 10 years from now we see another Shaq in the league and it just ruins this whole positionless thing. But I definitely think this is going to be the trend here for a little bit. Well, I think that uh, even with Shaq, and you know, the Jazz could use Carl Malone as a center and go semi-positionless, and they just pick and roll Shaq right out of the playoffs two years in a row. So there's something even then that was kind of, in a way, the start of the trend. Andy Bailey covering the Utah Jazz in the NBA for Forbes.com and Bleacher Report. So then with that in mind, since you spoke a little bit about the East, Andy, handicapped the East for us. The East is, you know, I get everybody's hesitance with the Bucks. I, I think it's natural for people to look at teams and say they don't really have anybody on there who's done it before, so it's hard to it's hard to count on them to do it. But Milwaukee is on pace to have the third most wins in a regular season ever. Um, there's obviously the 73-win Warriors, the 72-win Bulls, and now Milwaukee is trending towards 70. And they, they played Toronto in Toronto last night, a fully healthy uh, – I guess the Raptors were missing the Marcus Salt, who's pretty big key for them, but a mostly healthy Raptors team. And it was close, uh, you know, here and there, but Milwaukee mostly controlled the game. And what is most impressive to me about them is when Giannis is off the floor, their net rating is still something like, you know, plus seven points per 100 possessions, something like that, which is – basically would, would equate to the second-best team in the league. It's right around where Boston is. Um, they are so deep. They're, they are built so perfectly, tailored so perfectly to Giannis' skill set. 
Um, I, I, I'm kind of guilty of this too. I look at the Lakers and I see they've got LeBron who's won multiple championships. The Clippers have Kawhi who's won multiple championships. And it's hard for me to pick against those teams. But if you're just making a purely statistical argument, it's, it's hard to look away from the Bucks. Now, having said all that, I don't think I would be completely stunned if, if Toronto or Boston or even Philly still uh, came out of the East. I think Philly has a bunch of problems that have been analyzed probably about as much as any team in the league this season. But their top-end talent is just ridiculous. Um, and, and you see it on display in that, that game that Embiid played without Simmons the other day when he had, I think, 49 points or something like that. He's, he's just such a handful um, inside. And I think when they now that they've kind of figured out that the Horford-Embiid pairing may not be their best option, they're going to be even better. Um, so I think they're solid. I think I love Boston's switchability, their positionless basketball, and I think they'll have a good, smart defensive scheme for Giannis. They're probably going to double him hard all the time, and they're good at rotating. So I think they have a chance to beat the Bucks. Um, and then the Raptors, they're, just, they're a heck of a story this season. I thought they would be sort of scratching and clawing for sixth and seventh without Kawhi. Um, there's, there's something to the whole championship DNA thing with them, and there's just a toughness to them um, that, that makes it difficult for me to count them out. Obviously, I'd pick the Bucks to win the East at this point, um, but it's, it's pretty open, too. And again, I just wouldn't be stunned if we saw some other team in the finals. Andy Bailey covers the Jazz in the NBA for Forbes.com and Bleacher Report. Andy, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me.